Welcome to Rugby Legends. My guest today is a legend on and off the pitch. He won 10 caps for Ireland in the 1970s and didn't finally hang up his boots until the 1990s. He was even still playing in his 40s. You ain't seen nothing like the mighty Quinn. As I say, Mick Quinn, you are very welcome. Thank you very much, Gary. I'd like to uh, start by asking you, what did you make of Ireland's Six Nations campaign? Were you pleased with it? Yeah, I was quite pleased with it. I thought they did quite well. Um, they they started in a sort of fitful manner, of course, but uh, they were pretty unlucky um, against the Welsh, I, I particularly. Uh, but I thought the performances against Scotland and England were very good. And uh, I thought a lot of players proved uh, their worth in that time. And uh, I think the the... Uh, I think the the view is that uh, there's nothing much wrong uh, with the Irish team. I, I think Andy Farrell's done a good job, and I think the players are happy uh, in the environment, and that's always a good thing. And uh, I think the future uh, looks bright enough. I think it. Uh, I think we're going to be competitive at Six Nations level. Uh, the size thing uh, of players when you start taking in the Southern Hemisphere and to an extent England uh, is always a problem because we don't have guys quite as gargantuan as as, uh, the French, the English and uh, particularly South Africa. (laughs) And some guys are are just huge and uh, I think think it takes away from the game actually. I I think uh, it becomes too much uh, an arm wrestle of power rather than skill and uh, you know, I think the Irish team is a skillful team, and I think they have the uh, potential to be very, very successful. Well, this, of course, has become a, a big issue now with the uh, Lions selections, and as you know, quite a lot of controversy regarding some. But it seems he's kind of uh, gone for, for for size. Size matters. Would that be right? Yeah, I think there's no doubt about that. I mean, uh, uh, but his explanations of some of the uh, selections hasn't hasn't uh, gone down well here. Uh, now the, you might say, well, that's just the Irish uh, moaning, you know. But uh, I think I think leaving John uh, Johnny Sexton out is is uh, really really a bad move. Um, Why I mean, he went to he went to New Zealand uh, with the last Lions and he dropped Owen Farrell after the first test uh, and brought Sexton in and Sexton was the reason that they squared the series. They won They won the second test, drew the third test and um, uh, Sexton was excellent. Now, um, you know, he made the assumption really that um, Sexton uh, was suffering from all sorts of injuries and bits and pieces, you know, but Leinster have two international out halves. They can play, uh, you know, they can play either out half at any time and rest the other. And uh, and they're both excellent players. Uh, but Johnny Sexton is a world-class player and he's a better out half than Owen Farrell. He's certainly better than Dan Bigger. And Finn Russell, for me, is just a circus clown, really. He's... Uh, <laughs> A guy who 
like uh, he's running around smiling when he's smiling. Uh, yeah, he smiles when he makes mistakes. He does little jiggies and and uh, turns the ball inside out and runs up his own ass all the time. And uh, he can play very well. He's a great footballer, but the, you know the tricks and the and the circus stuff uh, is not for playing against the Springboks. I think the Springboks will take him and throw him out the back door. I mean, it's just. I can't understand why uh, the Scottish coach was allowed to get so much freedom in the selection of the of the squad. Uh, Gregor Townsend, you're talking about. Gregor Townsend, yeah. I mean, he he, he good guy, Gregor, and all that. But he got his pound of flesh with this selection because he has two props in there that were that were their heads were up their own asses for the match against Ireland. I mean, they just got pilloried by the Irish front row. How the hell they're going to uh, hold up a Springbok pack is is just you know he's picked one team, he's picked his his test team before he goes without a shadow of a doubt. And he's picked a bunch of guys that will sit on the Wednesday team. And they're, uh, in my opinion, simply not good enough. And uh, I think that I'd be very surprised if the Springboks don't run out easy winners of the, of the test series, really. Well, we shall have to wait and see uh, how it all uh, transpires. Okay, your own career. It started, uh, as you well know, uh, in, uh, in in Newbridge uh, college uh, and you won the senior cup there in 1970 now one thing i'm fascinated to hear uh, is that you claim that your coach then father heffernan was the best coach of anyone you ever played with uh, uh, in the game as you went right up to the ranks your school coach was your best coach ever is that true i think it is i i think overall um i had most experience of him because I had him in 69 and 70, and he was a brilliant reader of the opposition. And, and he, he would tell you succinctly how you were going to win the game. You know, I mean, we turned around at halftime. We played really well against Black Rock in the final in 1970. And, but we had a big win behind us in the first half. But we were only 9-5 up at halftime. And he basically told us how we were going to win that game. And, and uh, you know... Uh, and he told us how to do it. And this is what you have to do to win the match. And I love that. I love that, um, you know, um, I love that idea that that it was specific, what you had to do, simple and straightforward. There were no airs and graces about it, and you just got on with it. He was brilliant. I mean, I I, I had very good coaches as well. I mean, Roly Beats was a very good coach, uh, and and so was Tommy Kiernan, you know, and Mick Doyle I had as well um, uh, with Leinster and that. Um, so, I mean, I, I had nothing to moan about with regard to the actual coaching, but that we only had them for a couple of days before for a match right know? so it, it wasn't really a case of saying that father heffernan was better than than okay the, the other coaches but he was he was the one that um that really struck me as having a a, a huge uh, knowledge of the game and and uh, taught taught me so much in, in the game that gave me the confidence to go on and uh, play at a serious level so he helped give you your rugby identity and your kind of uh, your understanding of the game. He helped yes. bring that on. Yeah, great. yes, and how to re- how to read the game and how to hurt the other team uh, as much as possible and and. Uh, 
that's that stood me in good stead. So he was a bit ahead of his time, you know, but brilliant at reading the opposition and and how to deal with them. You know, I, I thought he was he was a great coach. Would you have described yourself as a player who, who was a good reader of the game, who 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 saw how to hurt opponents? Um, I would hope that I was. Uh, <clears throat> I am. It's always been said that I kicked too much, <clears throat> you know, which is a which is a valid criticism. I would have thought, um, but I always believed that um, playing in your own half only led to the other team getting scores. So I I, I had a, a big kick. So I, I mean, I used it quite a bit to get down the paddock, and I won a lot of medals with Lambsdown. You know, we were very successful in my time there, and uh, and I'm still there. But <laughs> but we we won a lot of stuff, and um, you know, it got me in the Irish team, and it it it. It's, uh, uh, I had a great time. I enjoyed every minute of it. But yeah, I was in an era when there were a lot of good outhands around. I was going to say, yeah, Campbell Ward, Dara Coakley, Paul Dean. There was a lot of people. Paul Dean, uh, Billy McComb, Barry McGann. You know, all in that era, and all good players, all really good players. And uh, but uh, you know, I don't have any regrets. You know, because I I, I got. 10 caps, uh, Ollie got 20 or something, and, and Wardy got 20, around 20 as well. So, you know, we all took caps from each other, and um, but all those players were great players. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I don't have any sort of bitterness about that at all because, you know, I enjoyed playing against those guys. I enjoyed their company. I, I'm i very friendly with, with Ollie Campbell, very close friends with Ollie and, and Wardy. And uh, Barry McGann was on the phone to me the other day. You know, so I, I you know, we, we built up a lot of friendships out of it. Um, and uh, they were great times. We had such fun and tour and um, we, we just um, had had such a good repartee between all the players and it, it was a different era I mean it was the amateur era and uh, you had to do your training you had to do, go out and do a day's work as well which you know it was difficult to go back in on the Monday morning after playing an international on the Saturday and playing for your club on the Sunday you know what? One thing uh, I know from uh, other players who've talked about it, I think in the amateur era which you played and right up into the early 90s, it weren't international teams are only allowed to meet 48 hours before before the match. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah, it was. And, uh, you know, it, it was um, it, it was very difficult. I mean, you had to put everything together and really, you know, the backs got together and decided what they were going to do. And the forwards got together. Now, we had Mike Gibson in the back line, like, and yeah. we had... We had <laughs> Donnie Maloney had scrum half, and we we were we we were a good side. We were much better than people thought, and that's in my time, uh, which wasn't that long in the team. I mean, it's uh, I played in 73, 74, 77, and eighty one, but it, I was subbing most of the rest of the time. You know, if they gave caps for subs. Uh, in those days, I'd have had more than Willie John McBride. <laughs> you know, it, was, it was more of the more of the seat in the stand most of the time, you know. And I never got on. Like I never got on because the guy had to be clinically dead on the pitch before you'd be brought on. The doctor had to go out and say, "Oh, that guy is banjacks like." And uh, now you can bring on the sub. So I never actually got on as a sub, but I, I enjoyed being there. I enjoyed being part of it. It was all great crack. And I got on well with the other players. 
and, and they with me and, and uh, I just enjoyed the whole experience you know it was great it was great for my family it was my parents loved it you know and um, my dad was uh, I suppose proud of it and, and that that means more to me than, than actually getting there myself you know because I just wanted to please my family and, and uh, you know and uh, we all enjoyed the experience it was great well, uh, I said to you before the interview, I was looking at uh, your showreel, effectively, or somebody put it together for you on on YouTube. Uh, and uh, some of your plays were very creative and very inventive. Uh, I noticed you, you you employed the reverse pass quite beautifully against France uh, in one of the, presuming that match was in 70, 72 or 73, 74. Uh, and uh, a, a fantastic offload, talk about offloading. Uh, against uh, England in in seventy four as well for a try. Well, I suppose um, I had good hands, you know, I a good pair of hands. I didn't drop the ball much, but I I I, I used to try and create space with with passes, and uh, I wasn't blindingly quick, but I was quick over fifteen meters, and I I could get through a gap. So uh, from that point of view, I, I was able to set up quite a lot of tries uh, but um, I, I, I enjoyed doing the, the you know if, if it took something special to to make a gap well then I enjoyed trying to do that you know I, I tried to be constructive certainly in the opposition half of the field but uh, probably I, I would have been deemed um, a bit of too much of a kicker because I, I wanted to get out of our own half because I figured they couldn't hurt you from outside our own half and uh, you know, to I I feel I was more successful because of that. Uh, like I, I in my two main years on the team, we we shared the championship in 1973, and we won the Five Nations in 74 outright, and that was a great season. I mean, it really was a good season. We have we had a sort of funny incident. Uh, in the the Welsh game in '74, uh, we drew that game in Lansdowne Road, and uh, it was nine all draw. Uh, a game we should have won. Actually, uh, we, we missed a lot of chances in that game, you know, to, to actually win it. But we were the better side on the day. But had we won that, we would have won the triple crown as well as the the championship, which which uh, would have sort of put us up in lights but the the fact is they people thought that the triple crown was bigger than winning the championship in those days which was crazy you know and now it's all about the championship um and um uh, we had a we we had a particular incident that day after the match um we were in the old Lansdowne Pavilion at the corner of the ground, the little old house that used to be down there. Uh, the two teams were in there and my scrum half that day was Johnny Maloney. And Johnny sort of looked like me at that time because we both had sort of long hair and sort of thin little guys. I'm not thin anymore, but I was thin then. And uh, uh, I, I was inside in this, this room having having a drink afterwards with the, the Welsh lads and that. And a kid came to the door of the the room and he shouted into me and he, he mistook me for Johnny Maloney. He thought I was Johnny Maloney. We're always being mistaken for each other. I said, Johnny, Johnny, please, I, I've got my my autograph book. Can I have your autograph, please? You're my hero, you see. So I went over and I had the heart to say, look, I'm not Johnny Maloney, I'm Mickey Quinn. So I signed it to Brian, best wishes, Johnny Maloney. And he said, gee, Johnny, that's fantastic. Thank you very much. He said, but tell me something. How do you play with your man, Mick Quinn? He's shit. 
So, <laughs> as you can imagine. <laughs> That'll teach you to sign autographs for other people. Right, he was lucky he didn't get my boot up his ass, I'll tell you that much. But uh, it, put, it, it, it made me humble. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yes, it's funny. It's funny. I, I came in in 73, and in 73, we ended up sharing the championship with everybody else because everybody won their home matches and lost their away matches. So that the season had five uh, shared shared the championship. And then 74, um, in 74, then uh, we, we won the championship outright, which was a great season for us. Now, I know, obviously, it was the amateur era and so on and, and everything that went with that. Uh, I mean, do, do, do you miss that sense of camaraderie? Do you think that that's kind of lost now in the professional game a bit? Uh, I think it is because I think they, they all break away early. They don't go eat a big um, dinner dance after every international. Like, it was a great, uh, it was a great sort of... Uh, uh, get together of the players so you knew them very well I mean I'm still pally with guys I played against for England and uh, Wales and Scotland and that and and you'd still be in touch with guys you know I, I, I'm not sure that that happens um, so much in the in the uh, current situation you know I think they're they're now playing it's it's more of a job now than a, than, than a get together of lads uh, and, and having fun you know Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones, make friends with innovation. Your free travel card can be used on all Expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway. Keeping Ireland connected. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times, the magazine and website for people who don't act their age. Or maybe you have a loved one or a friend who you know would love to read more. You can buy a subscription and have the magazine delivered direct to their door. To subscribe to Senior Times, visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash senior times. Now, you yourself uh, had some uh, really good uh, times and tours uh, with the Irish team. You went to New Zealand in 76 uh, and then on the way back, you also went to Fiji, which uh, I think it was Ned Van Espec, the writer, rugby writer, who said that it was the strangest game he'd ever witnessed. Uh, tell us a little bit about all of that. Yeah, it was it was played in great heat. <laughs> I can tell you that much. But it had been they'd been struck with torrential rain on the couple of days beforehand, and the pitch was just. It was just a mess. It was just a plop of mud, like six inches deep nearly, uh, all the way around the pitch. And there were huge frogs. I mean, frogs that were nine inches high, like jumping all over the pitch. They were, I don't know what it was. It was quite close to the sea line. You could see the sea from the pitch. But, I mean, it was um, incredible uh, that they, these frogs were all, they were, they were like 
20, 30, 40 of these things jumping all over, running between the players and, and hopping around the place. Uh, all through the match, it was incredible. And uh, But it was just the heat was incredible. And, and uh, we won the match 8-0, but I mean, it was... It was drudgery. Like you couldn't take a place kick in if the mud was so bad. You'd be sliding into the ball. It was a real mess. And they considered it to be an absolute joke. Well, I mean, we had a we had a good time there. I mean, it was great. It was a lovely place. And the people were lovely people in Fiji. Gorgeous people. I mean, they're so friendly and everything. And we enjoyed the tour. It was great fun. As a matter of interest, I mean, how come Fiji was so evolved in that way to the point that teams, you know, uh, international teams would actually go there? Because they weren't, I mean, they weren't one of the great powerhouses, but they did have some kind of um, presence for sure. So how, how were they so evolved? Yeah, yeah, I think they were trying to build, you know, they were trying to get into the international game at that stage. They realised that their players, number one in the sevens and still are uh, in the sevens game because they're fantastic athletes, like, uh, and they're big men, you know. So I, I, I think they were trying to, we were doing our bit by pu- pulling into Fiji on the way home from New Zealand. It was part of the flight path, so you may as well. So we, we played the match and, and uh, I mean, Fiji, uh, you know, uh, Gary, uh, you know, you've got to realise that Fiji would be one of the powerhouses right now if they weren't losing their players to England, New Zealand, Australia. You know, there's guys from Fiji turning up and, Next thing, their families are brought over to New Zealand, and they're they they they're playing for for all blacks. I mean, if they were all playing for Fiji, they'd be really one of the top three or four teams in the world without a oh, shadow right. of doubt. You know, it's it's not fair what's happening, but I mean, that's that's life as it is. You know. Uh, I noticed that you you mentioned I think uh, that you were very impressed with their skills and their imagination and their their their, their kind of passing and all that. I mean, did did. Did the IRFU get any ideas? Was it were they was it considered a, a sort of place that you might learn something? Uh, I don't believe so. I mean, they, they they certainly didn't like they would do stuff like, like throwing uh, basketball around. Like they were just incredibly uh, athletic, and uh, I actually played against them for Leinster as well in Dublin on tour and on that tour they beat a lot of good teams on that tour now we beat them well uh, and uh, you know we we uh, but we, we saw how good they are during that Leinster match you know I mean they really were flicking balls here and there and throwing balls out of tackles like you know teams that are only in the professional game now are only getting into offloading out of tackles yeah, but this is, we're talking about 45 years ago, more than 45 years ago, and you are saying that there's only, it's only now that some teams are actually doing that level of kind of offloading and so on. So surely at some level they were way ahead of their time. Oh, they were, you know, and they were so skillful. They were great to watch. I mean, they were fantastic, uh, talented players, and it, it was 
just a shame that they couldn't get more uh, more coverage, really, you know, for what they did. And I, I loved watching them. I mean, I, and I loved playing against them because they were they were just different. You know, they were so different. And, uh, and um, you know, I just think that teams now are so engrossed in not making mistakes, number one. Number two, in, um, you know, playing the hard ball game, the up front, the hitting game, you know, running into people instead of running around. The Fijians run around you. They don't run through you. And and they had this ability to go one-handed passes. Now, teams are now realising that if you want to break down the defences of the current day with centres flying up offside half the time and, uh, you know, stunting the game, uh, that the only way to, to break through is to make that pass out the tackle and they're starting to do that. The French are certainly starting to do it, and and you see Leinster doing it quite a bit. And you know, I, I think um, uh, I think that is the one way that you can get gaps now. Uh, it, the defences are so tight that the, the for me the the best way is to pass out of tackles to actually make that uh, one handed pass sometimes or whatever when you hit the ground to pass it up and keep the ball moving. No, have no rooks. Um, you know, which slow down the game. Well, I have to say, Mick, uh, looking uh, at your uh, involvement in, in one of the tries in in seventy four Twickenham, that is precisely what you did. You got you got hit hard in the tackle, and you you offloaded the ball. It was a offload pass, quite brilliant, ahead of its time, Mick. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, we still tried to make breaks in those days. Like, <laughs> I always had this thing that if. If we won a line out, uh, that was an opposition line out. It was their line out near in their own 22. I would always go from that. And Johnny Maloney knew that. And um, we won, Moss Keane won the line out. And um, Massey was brilliant. Like he, he got up and he slapped it back to Johnny. And Johnny put it very flat to me because he knew that I would have a go because when you're inside the opposition 22, their out half is going to be back straight. So there's, he's waiting to get it from his scrum half to kick it into touch. So he's back deep and where the centres are afraid that our centres are going to get away. So I always figured there was a gap there for me to saunter into. And I did that and went right into the gap and then got tackled. And as I was tackled, I I offloaded to, to Dick Milliken and he gave it to Mike Gibson and Gibbo just stepped inside the fullback and scored and uh, he got two tries that day Gibbo and uh, that was the famous day that uh, Moss sort of came into his own you know uh, he was just in the team uh, that season and uh, he was a wonderful character and he he brought so much to the Irish team at the time. I, I remember going into the ground that day we were total outsiders I mean England had this huge team and Big fellas, Ralston and Ripley up front, and Fran Cotton was the prop, and John Pullen was the captain, and they had Steve Smith at scrum half. I was marking Alan Old at out half, and they'd, they'd duck him out on the wing with the long blonde hair. They just looked better than us. They had all new gear and everything, like, and we were arriving in on the bus and coming through the through the car park in Twickenham, and all you could see there were Range Rovers and. Bentleys and rolls, you know, and they had the the boot open and the barbecue going and the sandwiches and all this. And, and you're coming through the car park and you can see the atmosphere and the tenseness was there. And Moss was a great man for the the one-liners, you know, and uh, 
uh, with very little respect for the opposition. Uh, Mossy said, I, I, I have a poem, Mickey, I have a poem. You see, and he did these little lines that he'd write down and he'd break them. And he was trying to break the, the tension, you know. And he said, uh, my poem for today is, I'm glad I am an Irish man. I'm glad that I am free. I wish I was a puppy dog and England was a bloody tree, you see. <laughs> so we were all laughing as we came through the car park and we get out and get into the dressing room and Willie John McBride was the captain. And Willie says to us about 20 minutes before the kickoff, he says, right, lads, he says, uh, we have special tactics for today because I think there's going to be a bloody big fight, you see. So... Uh, Jeez, the lads are saying, why, why do you think that will you add? I will be in the first scrum because Massey's going to throw a punch and <laughs> going to take their hooker out of it. And as soon as he comes up, everybody's to go in and whack an Englishman, you see, and we'll soften their underbelly, you see. So Moss was over in the corner, you know, practicing his punches, you know, and all this sort of stuff. And we got the call to go out on the pitch. And uh, the rundown in Twickenham was quite long out onto the pitch and uh, we were sort of picking up speed from 0 0.1 miles an hour to 0 0.05. And, uh, and uh, we got down near the pitch and a guy jumps out in front of us, one of these old guys with blazer on and an RAF moustache. And he says, hold it, ha. He says, BBC cameras are not quite ready for you chaps. He says, hold on, ha. And we'll have give you the tally-ho, you see. So we're all standing there, and England start coming out of their dressing room, and John Pullen has given them the, the article about remember Waterloo and all this. And Mossy says, Jesus, were we in Waterloo as well? <laughs> you know, and they come up beside us, and they were huge. I mean, they were huge. And you know, they're all standing there, and we're trying not to look at them because we're going to be going out trying to smash them in a minute. Uh, Tony Neary, their, their uh, flanker, knew Mossy Keane from playing with him on the Barbarians, you see. So he taps Mossy on the shoulder and puts out his hand and shakes his hand. He says, Mossy, he says, the best of luck. He says, may the best team win. And Mossy says, I bloody hope not. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we went out and we hammered them by four tries to one that day. And Gibson was magnificent. Like, uh, it was fantastic. And uh, and Johnny Maloney, a great game, got a great try that day. And... Uh, I got an old drop goal just before half time, and we we and Terry Moore got the other try, uh, right up from uh, their line out on their line, and he jumped up and out jumped everybody and went over for the try. The late Terry Moore, great try, and and we had such a great night that night. We were up all night, like it was just unbelievable. This and the the crowd, there were a huge amount of Irish people in the crowd. You know, it was it was like a home match nearly. You know, it was, that was one of the great experiences of my life playing in that game. It was just great beating England in Twickenham. Like it was just the be all and end all for us. It was great. I'm sure it was. I remember I had a neighbour, an English neighbour, who was a big into rugby, and his father rather condescendingly said to me. He says, um, yes, I think um, um, if we just had a few more minutes, we definitely would have won the game. And uh, I was thinking, yeah, well, you know, there you go. It happens over 80 minutes, friend. I'm sorry. It does. It does. Uh, yeah, I, think, I think, Gary, if you think back since uh, 2000, 
to now, uh, Irish rugby has been phenomenal, like phenomenal. You know, when when guys like O'Gara and and, uh, and uh, Darcy and and uh, Brian O'Driscoll and all of these guys, Mick Galway, all these guys came into the team around the same time, and and then you had Sexton coming afterwards. And we've had huge success. I mean, we we've shown that, and and I I, I think um, O'Gara has to be commended. I mean, not only is he a great coach, which he obviously is, and a brilliant, and he's doing going the right way about learning the game uh, by going to New Zealand and, and France. Uh, uh, he he was very perceptive because we would all be arriving into the places like Twickenham and saying, well, we're underdogs, we're going to try our best to win. He was going in with the attitude, like, we're better than these guys. And O'Driscoll was the same. You know, that they decided, you know, Darcy and these, they agreed to themselves that they were actually better than the opposition. And for that, they got more success than we did in the amateur era because, you know, we just, you know, we didn't... um, you know, we didn't really believe that we were better than the opposition. We thought we could beat them, and we thought on any single day we could beat them, but we didn't really believe it all the time. And I think, you know, you you go to Johnny Sexton now and say to him, well, do you think he can take on Wales or England, Scotland or France? Absolutely. Can you take on the All Blacks? Yeah. Mm. And beat them. You know, and this uh, has changed... The whole scene um, has been fantastic in the last 20 years, and they've given us a great amount of joy. And they 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 deserve every credit for it, the players, because they have all right. It's they're getting money for it, and, uh, and they're well paid for it, and they deserve that money. You know, I mean, they do in this era. Uh, they certainly uh, deserve the money, and and but they have played with the same spirit as anyone could have done in the amateur era. And I think they should be commended for that. They've given us an awful lot of big lifts in Ireland over the last 20 years. Oh, they certainly have. I mean, the, the moments are, are incredibly binding for the for the, for the the people and, and, and exciting and euphoric and all the good things that sport brings. Would you have liked to have played in the professional era? Yeah, I would. I, I would. I think uh, I would have loved to have been coached by Joe Schmidt or or Andy Farrell, you know. Um, like, we never had that organisation going on the pitch. I mean, I I went out for internationals and the coach would say to me, play your own game, you know. <laughs> and I, I would say, which game is that? Is that my kicking game, my running game, my, you know. And you'd be left out. I mean, literally, as out half, you had to go out there and perform and and make sure the team was going forward and make sure that we were we were scoring. You know, and uh, and uh, we, luckily in in the matches I played and we did do well. You know, most of them. And uh, uh, I think I think um, you know the organisation now. And I go up uh, sometimes to watch Leinster training, and you have uh, Leo Cullen and. and Stuart Lancaster taking the sessions and they're just unbelievable sessions it's just unbelievable to watch the organisation the speed of training the the power of training and and I'd have loved to have been part of that but would I trade it for the era that I played in and the lads I played with no I wouldn't really I, I it's such fun I enjoyed the game so much that I went on playing after my international career was over and I retired from that and retired from 
Liverpool playing for Leinster. I then went down through the teams in Lansdowne in the club. I played on the seconds, the thirds, the A's, the B's, right till I was 45. But I enjoyed it. I won more medals playing down the teams. And I I think the play, current players would miss out on all of that fun because the best actual fun I had was playing in Lansdowne. I really enjoyed playing for my club. I really enjoyed playing well for my club. And Con Murphy, my old mentor in Lansdowne, who was a man who played for Ireland before and after the war, he, he used to say, Child of Grace, he's, he called me Child of Grace. He could never remember anybody's name. He just said everybody was Child of Grace. And he said, Child of Grace, play well for your club and everything else will look after itself. And he was right, because I enjoyed playing well for Lansdowne, and I enjoyed the success we had, and that brought me into the international stage. And I never regretted a minute uh, of joining Lansdowne. Uh, it's a fantastic club, and I still go down to all the matches, and I enjoy watching the teams play, first, second, third. It doesn't matter to me. Um, and uh, I think the, the club scene is fantastic. So going to watch Leinster is a separate issue. It's a different thing. You're going to watch as a fan almost, but your club is your club. And uh, I, I do enjoy the Lance. I think and I, and my biggest enjoyment in the game was playing down through the teams in Lansdowne because winning with the, the ordinary guys who were playing rugby for fun every week was a, a, a brilliant uh, experience for me because I really enjoyed playing with them and I hope they enjoyed playing with me. Uh, and did you have any uh, sort of local hero types who were going to who were gonna uh, teach you a thing or two? Because I know Shane Byrne, who was playing for Arklow? He told me there's always somebody who feels they're gonna they're they're gonna have a go, uh, and I'm th- and and I'm thinking, why would you bother trying that? He knows every trick in the book, and invariably he wins. Yeah, um, did you have any yeah, of that? You'd get you'd get a bit of that, and I mean, I remember when, at 44 years of age, I played a match. Uh, out in Barnhall uh, with a sort of uh, team of guys. Mick Galway was playing and Alan Quinlan was playing. And my brother, Charlie, who had played for Leinster as well, uh, was playing in it. And uh, I, I remember um, playing on, the, on, on, on their team uh, was the, the one and only, uh, uh, what's his name, the uh, brilliant and uh, wonderful uh, uh, Trevor Brennan. The one and only. Now, Trevor was a great player and he was as tough as nails. And he gave me a tackle that day, nearly cut me in two. I was saying, Trevor, I'm 44 years of age, for God's sake. I said, I'm not trying to get on the Leinster team, but he was just coming at that stage. He was Trevor was just coming to the big time, right? And uh, he and he went through a career where he was, uh, you know, some player. I mean, he he didn't buy, he didn't take too many prisoners, as you can imagine. But I remember getting hit by him, and I thought, oh my god, like this, this is. This is uh, just, I mean, I'm not able, at this stage, I wasn't able for that, but he gave me an awful smack. But he, he, he's a, luckily, he's a good pal since, anyway. It's great. Your free travel card can be used on all Expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, Remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway. 
Keeping Ireland Connected. Think you're not smart enough to own? Think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones. Make friends with innovation. Now, one of the um, controversial moments of your uh, rugby career was uh, with Ireland, uh, touring South Africa in 1981. I know there was a fierce opposition to it and it became a a live political issue, as you remember. Uh, What are your thoughts on it now? How how did you feel about it at the time and how do you feel about it now? Yeah, well, there was trepidation of going. Um, I only actually went on it as a sub for Ollie Campbell. Ollie got injured. And I got the call and, and I went out. And uh, uh, for me, it was a great experience. Um, and my attitude was that uh, you, you don't mix sport with politics. That was the big thing. Uh, now, I know Johnny Robbie has since said in South Africa that he regretted going because of the fact that it was, that, that it was apartheid uh, out there. But I never missed a chance to tell them what I felt about the way they treated people out there and i made a point of of meeting with with uh, people of color uh, i mean it didn't matter to me what color anybody was you know and we did play the first ever match between uh, black people what they called colored people like uh, of mixed race and and white people all in one team on that tour so i felt we were doing our bit but what what really disappointed me was that our government here were really going on about taking their passports away, they're they're helping apartheid, they're helping all this, while they were dealing on a day-to-day basis in business with South Africa, both importing and exporting to South Africa. I mean, I was able to go to a supermarket in South Africa and get uh, cans of Guinness, um, who who had told Johnny Robbie that if he went on the tour he was going to lose his job and he resigned on the spot. He told them to stick their job, and they they were only worried that that their their plant in Nigeria would be closed or, uh, because of the tour going ahead, which was a lot of rubbish. You know they were going to supply in South Africa anyway themselves. So uh, I was able to go into a supermarket and get my Kerrygold butter, you know, all loads of items from Ireland. And yet the government weren't willing to cut those off and say, no, we're not supplying any of that stuff. If they had done that, I wouldn't have gone on the tour. But when they weren't willing to make a sacrifice themselves, they wanted the Irish rugby players to be the sacrificial lambs for what they felt about apartheid. They were all talk and no action. And that's what sickened me. And that's why I felt we were right to go. And we played against a mixed team out there, which was a big step forward. And now look at it. I mean, it it eventually was forced into a situation where they had to play black players. And now half their team are black, at least. You know, they're incredible, talented players out there. But I remember going to a township to visit people and everything when I was down there. And I loved the people. I, I mean, I... You know, I try to get on with everybody, but I mean, I, I, I certainly got on with the the uh, 
colored and black South African people. I mean, to, to call people colored and black, like, I mean, what does it matter? I'm white. You know, I, I thought that the whole thing was rubbish, like, and uh, all we wanted to do was play rugby, get it done, play the game. And, and we were quite clear, and all the lads on that tour were quite clear in letting the South Africans know that they didn't agree with the way they treated uh, black people in South Africa. And how did they clear. react to that as a matter of interest? They didn't like it. They didn't like it, uh, you know, because you're dealing with the the Boer South Africans, like you're dealing with the the Dutch South Africans. The the English South Africans were much more open, but the Dutch guys were were you know you know we're white and they're black and we're going to keep them down. I mean that was appalling, and we let them know that we didn't agree with it, and and we we would make a point of you know uh, uh, bringing black people into the hotel for a drink or something to eat. They hated that, like. They didn't. Uh, oh, they, they can't come in. Well, they, you know. And I had a I had a situation because I stayed on after the tour was over, uh, just to travel around because I would only been there for a week or two, a week and a half. And um, I I took a hired a car and I was driving along on the garden route out of uh, Cape Town. I was going to drive around to Port Elizabeth and. Uh, and on the way, a guy was throwing a lift and he was a black guy. So I let him into the car anyway. We went along and he was going to a township in uh, in uh, Port Elizabeth. And he was the nicest guy, like a real nice guy. And we stopped for a burger on the way. And uh, I went to the burger place with him. And uh, the guy behind the counter says, uh, I'll serve you, sir, but I won't serve the guy with you. I said, oh, will you not now? You can't eat in here with him, he said. I said, oh, is that so? I said, that's fine. I said, well, just give us the burgers and chips and stuff and the drinks. And I got the whole lot on a little tray and I went outside the door. I sat on the ground with my arse to the door so nobody could get in or out. And uh, you know, the, the, the black man with me was sort of embarrassed, you know, and I said, look, look, we need to deal with this guy. You know, see, a man rings up the police I'm standing there, nobody can get in or get out. And I'm having my burger eating away. And the, the other chap with me is sort of just across from me, you know. And the cops arrive and they said, what's going on? And I said, well, I came down here on a tour uh, with the Irish rugby team. Uh, and I, I was pilloried for coming down here because of the apartheid situation. And I said, I come into this place and I asked for a burger for my friend here and myself. And that man doesn't want to serve a black person. I said, he told me I can eat it anywhere outside. I said, I'm eating it anywhere outside. And the two cops did nothing. They just said, okay, you know. I signed them an autograph at the end of it. And not Johnny Maloney's it. autograph, no? Thank, yeah, not Johnny Maloney's autograph. But I thanked them for their concern. And I told them that their country sucked. That you know this sort of treatment of people will not go on much longer, and I I did my bit. So I I was like, probably lucky I didn't get locked up, but uh, they thought it was quite funny the cops actually. And I then we drove on to the township. I met this man's family, beautiful people, but they lived in a mud hut. And uh, then I went on my way, you know. But I I just wasn't going to stand for that crap. Well, that pretty much brings us back to uh, the beginning in South Africa. And can I ask you, Mick, what are your final predictions for the uh, Lions Test Series against the Springboks? Uh, I think it, it, it might go 2-1 to South Africa. I think I think the Lions are capable of winning one of the matches. And they certainly have players who can win the match for them. 
you know, there's no doubt. But I just fear for the the war of attrition that's going to go on. I mean, it's going to be a bloodfest. You know, I think it's the last Lions tour to South Africa. I saw this. I was at the second and third tests uh, on that tour. The second test was the hardest game of rugby I've ever seen. I mean, they literally, South Africans literally took out four or five uh, Lions by the 50th minute of the game. They were, the two props went off early in the second half because the Lions were on top. Uh, the two props were literally taken out and they went after uh, O'Driscoll. They, I mean, they, it just, it was terrible. Luke Fitzgerald was, was, was buried a couple of times while he nearly had his eyes taken out in the first minute. And and uh, I think it's going to be like that. I think it's going to be a real tough game in between big men. I'm not sure it'll be a fantastic spectacle. It'll be tense and it'll be interesting, but I'm not sure it'll be filled with skill. I think it's going to be, uh, that'll be down to the place kicking. And uh, I suppose Farrell will do his best. For, for the Lions that way but uh, um, I think um, if the South Africans get enough build up games uh, I think they'll be too strong for the Lions I think 2-1 for me I'm inclined to say 3-0 but 2-1 2-1 I'll say I think the Lions are capable of taking one Well Mick Quinn uh, a legend on the pitch and a legend off the pitch uh, thank you very much it was a pleasure Mick Thank you very much, Gary. Today's podcast for the Senior Times was produced by Mark Murphy and presented by me, Gary Cook. 